Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual, with your host, Lachelle Lowe-Chardet, founder of Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and Wiseheart PDX. Hello, thank you for being with me today. Often in these podcasts, we focus on relationships with people who are close to you, your personal relationships, one-on-one interactions. And today I want to do something a little different. Focus on our relationship to interactions with others who are representing big businesses or corporations. And I want to begin by grounding ourselves in relationship as a spiritual practice. And one aspect of that is noticing who you are in everything you do. Who are you being? Hmm. From what part of you are you connecting with life, expressing, interacting. Who is on that phone call with (laughs) T-Mobile? And is that the you that you enjoy being? We can just start with joy. For me, joy is a central aspect of spirituality and a central sign that we are in alignment with our deepest values. Inviting yourself to bring that focus to who you are as you interact. It's such an important part of our spiritual practice to interrupt the pole of external events. Mm. To remember a sense of agency that you get to direct your attention in the way that helps you thrive and feel alive and connected. You have that incredible gift, that incredible freedom. With that freedom, you can choose to love and be loved. You can choose compassion. And without that freedom, those choices, they're not as real, right? Without that freedom to choose, it's hard to know if love is love. So here we are in a universe where somehow we have this freedom to choose. And that freedom brings us the gift of authenticity and knowing yourself as a sovereign being amidst a complexity of systems and conditions that shape you, surely shape you, 
in many ways that you're not aware of. And part of our practice is to become aware of that shaping and ask ourselves, do I want to live and behave from the ways I've been conditioned thus far in my life? Or would I like to make a different choice? And if so, how do I act on that choice? So I love this example of big business because it's like a universal situation in which it's so easy to lose a sense of who you are and what you care about. To become frustrated and angry, to be lost in judgment and railing against reality, protesting what's true. All of that can happen with big business. So let's begin with empathy and then empathy for you <laughs> in those situations. And then naming what makes it worse, what makes the situation worse, how you become ever more lost to yourself. And then naming a few possible interventions so that you can maintain who you are most deeply and truly and vibrantly in the face of this particular challenge. Hmm. So when you're in the midst of arguing with the phone company over charges on your bill that you believe shouldn't be there, and they're arguing back. Or let's even go before that. <laughs> let's go before you even get on the phone. Because really it starts way before that. And of course way before that. But let's just start before you get on the phone. You see your bill and you see something that you think shouldn't be there. And already you might be getting tense. Already you might be disconnecting from your heart and what's important in your life. When I say disconnecting from what's important in your life, it's not about dismissing these activities of daily life. It's about putting them in perspective. And of course, you already know some tricks for that. An obvious trick that you've likely already used is to imagine you're in your last moments of life. When you imagine that, it seems absolutely ridiculous to get upset about a phone bill, <laughs> right? When you imagine you're in your last moments of life, your heart immediately goes to love, naturally. It's not a forced thing. You naturally go to love who you love and wanting to tell them you love them. Maybe your heart goes to wanting to repair, disconnect in particular relationships. Your heart just definitely does not go to your phone bills. <laughs> So just a way to gain perspective, not a way to dismiss 
any of the challenges of our daily life experiences. So when you see that bill and you see something on there, an extra charge, let's imagine, we're just going to use phone companies, but obviously it could apply to any interaction with any corporation or big business. You see the phone bill and immediately you tense up. And let's name a few possible needs that might immediately come up for you in that moment. You might imagine spending extra money and so your need for security comes up. You might imagine, ah, they're trying to take advantage of me, so immediately your need for fairness comes up. You might be thinking, oh, I already talked to the company about this. So your need for being seen and heard, maybe respect, comes up. Or you imagine all the things you want to do in your day and how much time it will take to sort this out. And your need for joy and creativity and all, all the needs you are going to meet with those other activities come up. Maybe efficiency, right? Or you have a thought about how things should be done and your need for predictability and order and collaboration comes up. There's so many things and maybe all of those things happen at once. Which would make sense why these can be such incredible triggers, these interactions with big business. And maybe there's an overarching thought about I won't win or a sense of helplessness about how difficult you imagine it could be to be heard and enter into negotiation with someone on the other end who represents big business. You've had experiences of being handed off to person after person in a business. You've had experiences of being on hold for an hour or more. All these experiences add up. So it would make sense that these aversive experiences are in your memory and they come rushing forward, triggering a sense of threat to all of these needs and triggering tension and judgment. So it makes sense. There are so many things in our daily life that are just difficult. They're just difficult and they don't meet many needs. So being with that truth. And we can name here how we might escalate. Let's name how we might escalate that situation and that reactivity and that judgment before we name what might be helpful. Your mind, the reactive mind, doesn't really live in reality. <laughs> Whatever reality is, we're not going to go there right now. The reactive mind grabs, it's like sticky it's sticky it grabs onto something and holds it 
and then rotates around it. That's reactivity. So you might notice, what do you grab onto when you're in this challenging situation of negotiating with a person who represents a big, a big business? Maybe your mind grabs onto what should be happening and how things should be going. They should not be charging me for this. They should not be greedy. <laughs> so sometimes our shoulds mix with judgments, right? Or maybe your shoulds go back and forth between you and them and maybe your partner or whoever you share the bill with, right? Shoulds that just circle around. I should have been more careful. I should have chosen a different phone company. My partner should have been tracking this. That's their responsibility. So insistence on any should escalates reactivity and certainly blocks whatever skills you have to make the process go easier. Right? So there's this spiritual layer of living who you most want to be and and with that, living whom you most want to be gives you access to the skills you need most in these practical situations. They really go together. And it's my deep passion to help people see clearly, clearly, clearly that when you're living who you want to be in the world from your deepest values, which I call a spiritual practice, the mundane, the practical goes better because you are in an expanded state and the more expansive state you are in, the more access you have to the skills you've worked so hard to cultivate, to the knowledge you've gained thus far, to creativity, to equanimity, on and on it goes. And so when you insist on shoulds, you're contracting your state of being because you're pushing against reality. Reality, there's that word again. You're pushing against what's happening in the situation. And as you do that, you contract. What else? What else happens in these challenging situations that escalates reactivity? Stories of big business as a faceless monster. Hmm. You notice I've been saying when you negotiate with someone who represents rather than when you negotiate with big business because you're never negotiating with some grand entity, right? It's like the Wizard of Oz. The Oz seems like a big entity, a giant entity to negotiate with, but then when we pull the curtain back, it's just a person back there. It can be so hard to remember that because we have the habit of saying, I'm on the phone with T-Mobile. 
<laughs> I'm on the phone with the internet company. And so we forget that there, on the other end of the phone is a human being who's doing their best to meet needs just like you, meet their need for security, most centrally perhaps, as they work that job within that large corporation. And so when you imagine big business as a faceless monster, then it's also quite easy to make attributions. Attributions of malevolent intention, greed, apathy. The list is probably longer than that. And those judgments, those attributions, they aren't helpful. It doesn't really matter how many people in that big business are actually caught in a state of apathy or greed. Because you making those attributions contracts your state of being and escalates an unskillful and reactive interaction between you and, and the person on the other end of the phone. Caring for your state of being and you, who you are is practical. <laughs> it's a practical choice. Another thing that your mind can grab a hold of and escalate is dire predictions. When the mind starts making predictions about the horrible things that will happen, it can just get started on that jag and keep going. I'll lose money. I'll lose my phone. I'll lose my internet service. I'm failing at life. I'll be a failure. On and on they go. Dire predictions of the future trigger contraction. They trigger that tight survival state of being around scarcity. There won't be enough. When your mind is caught in a sense of scarcity, there won't be enough, it triggers your survival mind. And your survival mind is a wonderful thing, and we're very grateful for it. <laughs> But it only has basically three options. To fight, to flee, or to freeze. Fight, flee, and freeze won't get you very far in a negotiation with someone who represents a big business. So again, it's not about whether you really are lacking resources or not and how much resources you have. That, if that's true, if you're lacking resources, then we bring compassion to that. But that's the, that's the helpful intervention parts part. Let's not jump ahead. For now, we're just naming 
that that mind who imagines your negotiation with this person in a big business threatens your life by threatening your security or whatever else, what other need might come up, triggers a reactive state that makes it much more difficult to resolve the situation. Okay, let's look at our last piece here. What can you do when you're facing that situation? Ideally, when you're facing, facing a negotiation with someone in a big corporation or a business, you have some time before you're in the live interaction with another person. So in this particular challenge, we have a bit of an advantage there that it's typically not spontaneous interactions with others. That's huge, right? That is huge. Because if you're just sitting there looking at an email or a bill or whatever it is, you have a whole range of options before you, before you pick up the phone or you visit that business or you write an email in response. And I suggest that the first and most helpful intervention to begin with is regulation. Choosing to take a breath, choosing to relax. Of course, it, that assumes you notice tension, right? And that you're not completely swept away in the first seconds. That as you read that email or that bill, that letter, and you get more and more tense, you notice, ah, I'm getting tense. Oh, I'm getting tense. And the longer I keep my mind on the content of this email or, in, or a bill or whatever it is, the more tense I get and the more attached I get to the content and the more my mind enters into one of those things we named that makes it worse. I'm getting tense. <sighs> Let me just close my eyes for a moment and take a breath. Ah. And as you close your eyes and take a breath and regulate, or maybe you, if you have a window around, you look outside. Looking at nature is an incredible way to regulate. Or maybe you do some tapping. Tap at the top of your sternum. To release tension. You just let yourself regulate. Regulation can take seconds and have an incredible impact in changing your state. It's so powerful. And the more you do it, the more confidence you have in it, the more you do it. So you regulate. And then it might be natural to move into sadness. So the mind typically wants to move into anger or collapse, helplessness, wants to mobilize you perhaps. So sad, just moving your mind towards sadness will also interrupt the survival response of fight, flee, or freeze. 
So just saying aloud to yourself, oh, I feel sad about this. This isn't how I want to spend my life energy. I feel sad because I want to meet my needs by engaging in activities that are meaningful and nurturing and fun and caring for my body, heart and mind. And right now I see this activity as a burden, an obligation. Mm, something I don't want. Aversive. <laughs> oh, I feel sad. Because this isn't how I want to spend my time and my energy. I have so much I care about doing and love doing. <sighs> and allowing that grief... And it's okay as you allow the grief and sadness, the tension also arises and you can just name that. So you can just name, ah, and I just feel all this tension enter my body and even as I name my sadness and I take a breath, there's still tension and I don't enjoy this tension in my body, these judgments that are hovering around in my mind of resistance and shoulds. I don't enjoy that and I feel sad that this state is starting to come up and starting to take over. The more you name that tension that's coming up, the more regulated you become. Because naming what's happening is naturally engaging a mindful state. And depending on which particular form of reactivity that tends to pull you in, you can respond very specifically with allowing grief and mourning. So if saying what should and shouldn't be is your most common form of reactivity. <clears throat> For example, you might say, I notice I'm having thoughts about this shouldn't be happening. And I recognize and name that it is happening. This is happening. And this is a part of what happens in this human life. And I don't like it. And that's okay. I don't have to like it. Just doing that much will help to resolve those shoulds. And you might have, you might want to repeat that several times. This is happening and I don't like it. And that's okay. This is a part of life on planet Earth for now. And even though I don't like it, it's happening, and I want to take responsibility for my life. And this small way of managing these interactions is one way I take responsibility for my life. If you have images, enemy images of big business as 
a big monster, faceless monster of greed and apathy. You might take time to say, ah, it could be that people who own this business or run this business are taken over by greed, that they can't see the impact of their decisions on others. That might be true. And imagining that it is true for some people in this company, I can name that I don't like it, and I wish it weren't true. And I feel grief and sadness that sometimes people are caught in greed and apathy, and they don't see clearly the impact they have on others. And they're confused about how to create happiness in their own life. And because of that, many people suffer. I don't like it, and I accept it, and I allow grief for the truth that some people are caught in greed and apathy. And if you're feeling particularly resourced, you might send them love. Send them love that they might become more clear and connected. If your particular stimulus for reactivity is fear of bad things happening in the future, maybe revolving around security, then you might begin in the same way. First, just naming it. Ah, my mind is caught in ideas of the bad things that could happen. I'm repeating thoughts about, well, I don't have the money for this. We don't have the money. Our savings is depleted. We can barely sustain ourselves. Oh, I'm having all those thoughts. And those thoughts are triggering worry and fear about my sense of security and being able to take care of my family and my own needs. Maybe my pets or my home. Yeah. I don't like being in this state. I don't like fearing for my security. And that's what's happening right now. And that's a part of being a human on this planet, in this life. And perhaps in this moment I can just notice, in this actual moment, there's no immediate threat. I'm sitting here at my desk looking over this bill. My kids are safe. I am safe. My pets are safe. In this moment, I'm okay. Even though my body has the tension and of fear for my security, in this moment, I'm okay. And you might take a breath. Uh, engage in more regulation with breathing or looking outside or setting that activity down and getting something to eat or going for a walk. Asking for empathy if someone's available for empathy about that. And once you're more regulated, 
you can zoom out and take in the bigger picture of your life, right? This is the deathbed exercise a little bit. Hmm. Okay. I don't like the situation with this business and which I'm interacting with people who work there about something I don't like. And I can zoom out and recognize that this will pass. And that in the big picture of my life, what's most important is maintaining a sense of love and care in my heart. Hmm. And interacting from that place in me, no matter what's happening, no matter what the challenge is. And as I reconnect with my heart and what's important and reconnect with who I want to be in my daily life, no matter what's happening, grounding in myself and my deep intention to live from care and clarity and love and wisdom, I can bring into my awareness the fact that when I get on that phone call with another human being that just like me, they want to be happy, have love in their life, have peace and security. And the person on the other end of that phone is not a phone company, is not an internet company. That's a real person with a name and a family. And you can set your intention to interact with that person from the human place in you to the human place in them, regardless of whether they can connect with you at a human level. And perhaps that is one of our deepest vows in spiritual practice. is that we are not blown around by the winds of challenges and the way others behave or don't behave. That we dedicate ourselves to staying grounded in who we want to be in this life in living from love and care and wisdom, regardless of what the other person does or says. that we set boundaries from a place of self-connection, that we take care of our own safety from a place of self-connection. It's not about being Pollyanna and imagining that, oh, if I treat them with love, they'll treat me with love. Obviously, that doesn't always happen. It probably happens more often than we might predict. And at the same time, it's just practical. It's practical to maintain groundedness in who you want to be regardless of the situation. When your mind moves towards judgment, you watch that movement with mindfulness and say, oh, there I go judging and tensing up. And you 
greet that experience with compassion and love for yourself. First and foremost, it's not about being the ideal human. It's just about returning again and again and again. Naming what's happening. Acknowledging how much you like it or don't like it. Just as a part of the human experience, we constantly have a flow of preferences. And offering that love and that compassion to yourself. Which then opens the door to practical, wise discernment. Grounded in the biggest me, I trust myself to make decisions that are skillful and discerning. Hmm. Your spiritual practice supports you in every interaction. It's not separate from your daily life. So when you get on the phone with that person who represents the business in which you're having a conflict or a disagreement, you're attending first to maintaining your own center so that you can continue to act skillfully in that interaction. And when you're swept away in reactivity, you notice that. Then you return to a breath, empathy for yourself, maybe empathy for the other person. Maybe you call back later, recognizing that you can't recover from the reactivity you're in. Or maybe you just name it in the interaction. Transparency. Oh, as we're talking here, I'm noticing I'm getting frustrated and reactive. And I want you to know that I recognize you're doing the best you can over there on the other end of this phone and that this is challenging for me. This is a challenging situation. And I want to treat you with respect and have respect for what I'm facing on my end as well. Would you be willing to repeat again what you said more slowly so that I can understand the situation better? Right, so you might just do that basic honest expression with a request at the end and with some transparency. The amount of transparency that supports you in self-connection, but not so much transparency that you're placing vulnerability in the hands of someone who isn't prepared to receive it. So it's really a vulnerability and a transparency meant to serve your connection with your heart. It's an important distinction. Okay. We're closing here. And I'm just going to name the three parts we talked about. For helping with stress in interactions with people in big businesses. First, bring empathy to how difficult it is and all the feelings and needs that arise for you. And just naming those needs and naming those feelings 
and that you don't like it. Next, noticing the things you habitually do that make the situation worse and bringing compassion to yourself for that. Ah, there I go. Talking about shoulds. There I go, seeing the people who work there as a big monster. There I go, making dire predictions. And then lastly, engaging what will actually be helpful for you in maintaining groundedness in an expansive state, which allows you to access practical skills. So that includes regulation strategies, like naming what's happening. Regulation strategies like breathing or looking outside or taking a walk. Asking someone for empathy. And strategies like allowing grief and mourning for what's happening, both in your specific situation and in the world at large. And it could include remembering the big picture of your life and what's really important to you. And in the end, hopefully you have enough resource to come back around to remembering that the person on the other end of the phone is a human being just like you who wants to be loved and to love and to live a happy and peaceful life. Thank you so much for joining me today and for all you do on your path to live your life as a spiritual practice, radiating love from my heart to yours. You can find free resources and information about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue, as well as WiseHeart's live offerings and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org. You can also connect with WiseHeart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.